Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. It is good to gather with you again this, this Lord's Day to worship our, our sinless Savior. If I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you yet, my name is Kelton. I, I also have the privilege of serving here as one of the pastors of Stafford Baptist Church. If you're visiting with us, I would love to, to greet you afterwards, so please find me in the, the foyer after our service. This morning we continue our sermon series through the book of Matthew, so I'd invite you to join with me in your Bibles in Matthew chapter 15, Matthew chapter 15, where we're going to be studying all of verses 1 through 20 this morning, Matthew 15, 1 through 20, hearing Jesus. As you, as you turn there, you know, in, in a world filled with evil, with pain and suffering, with confusion, we are, we are all looking for answers. Is religion where we'll find those answers? Is religion where we'll find those answers? You know, if, if we could just get people to accept our religious dogma and its morals, all of our world's problems would fade. Our society would prosper. Or maybe, maybe we should be a little more modest in our aspirations, in our personal lives. We just need the right set of rules and we will be happy and blessed. Or, or is our society's problems, are our problems deeper than mere religious commitment, that we need a more penetrating and profound cure for our ills. It's something like put a, putting a, a fresh coat of paint over black mold. Sure, it looks better, but the mold will keep on growing undeterred by its, its new veneer. Well, in our passage this morning, Matthew 15, 1 through 20, Jesus is confronted by some of the religious leaders of his day about his observance of their religious ritual. And in the reply, which we will read, Jesus exposes the reality that people can be religious and empty of true righteousness. And that our problems are far deeper than any superficial behavior or beliefs. And his teaching this morning, though, though hard to hear, is a warning for us too. That we must beware the dangers of religious hypocrisy rising from what is inside all people, an evil heart. I encourage you to, to read along with me as we... As we read this passage, but before we do, we should pray and ask for God's help in our hearing of this word and the proclaiming of it. So please join with me in, in prayer. Our Father, we bring nothing to you this morning, but, but only what you, by your grace, have given to us. Lord, we confess that spiritual truths are hidden from the wise, and they are only revealed by your Spirit. So we pray this morning that you would give more to us in our empty hands, that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that we might have the mind of Christ. So we pray, Father, that by your Spirit we would hear Christ, that you would be magnified. It's in Christ's name that we pray this. 
Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, read along with me in your copy of God's Word. Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do, you do, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother, What you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Do you see, brothers and sisters, that that religion alone is not the answer, that our problem is deeper than any superficial, superficial solution can cure? So our main idea this morning, the bottom line up front, beware the danger of religious hypocrisy rising from an evil heart. Beware the danger of religious hypocrisy rising from an evil heart. Despite their religious pedigree, the leaders who confront Jesus have manipulated their way into disregarding God's command. The most basic responsibility to honor father and mother. Their religious rituals are not enough to cleanse the heart, the true source of all evil. Beware the danger of religious hypocrisy rising from an evil heart. We're going to study these 20 verses in two statements, two truths that we need to hear from Jesus this morning. Two truths. You can be religious, but be far from God. That in verses 1 through 9. And second, you, can, you sin because you are a sinner. That in verses 10 through 20. Two truths. You can be religious, but be far from God. And you sin because you are a sinner. 
I pray as we hear these truths this morning that we will look for answers for our own evils, our own pain, in a solution far deeper than what mere religion can offer. Let's start up in verse 1 with our first truth to hear from Jesus. You can be religious, but be far from God. Jesus' ministry has clearly been making waves. In our passage last week, up in 1413, Jesus had to withdraw from the attention of the the local governor. Now in 151, in our first verse, he receives what appears to be an official delegation from the capital city, Jerusalem. Matthew, as we've studied along, has reported that the crowds in Jerusalem were among those coming out to follow him. Though Matthew in particular doesn't record them, Jesus has, has made some visits to this city in his, his ministry, even making a big, big scene when he drove out the merchants and money changers from the temple. So clearly, he is known in Jerusalem. But maybe it's finally the report of his miraculous feeding that has earned him a visit from some of, some of the Pharisees and scribes from Jerusalem here in, in chapter 15. Pharisees, to to refresh you, are are lay experts in the law, part of a a movement devoted to meticulous practice of the Old Testament and and Jewish legal traditions. The scribes coming with them were were professional students and, and teachers of the law, experts on Jewish life. Well, as this party is introduced, Pharisees and scribes, you might already expect how this will go. If you remember how Jesus taught us in this Sermon on the Mount. right? He used the, the Pharisees and scribes as an example of those who will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5.20. Jesus teaches us, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So despite their pedigree, Their righteousness does not reflect the values of Jesus' kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. Well, what are they here to ask in verse 2? Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Well, maybe they hadn't heard about the feeding. Because why ask about washing? Or maybe even worse, maybe they had heard and they were so blind to the sign that their concern is about the disciples who distributed the the meal, you'll remember, that they did it with unwashed hands. Well, that's that's just speculation. Still, it, it seems like an odd question considering the circumstances. Well, and especially in a post COVID world, when we hear hand washing, we think of hygiene, right? But that's not the hand-washing that they're talking about, right? They didn't know about germs. This, what they're talking about, is a ritual cleansing. Not from microorganisms for health, but from ritual uncleanness for holiness. Whole sections of the Old Testament are dedicated to explaining ritual impurity or Uncleanness, uncleanness, right? Things like certain foods or diseases and, and death were unclean. And unclean things couldn't be in God's presence. The point of all those laws in brief 
was to teach God's people that God was holy, set apart, perfectly pure. And so his people needed to be as well. And though the Old Testament had plenty of laws about washing, it did not include hand washing, what they're talking about here, except for priests. So this is a a man-made tradition. It was made to prevent ceremonial impurity, maybe picked up in the marketplace. Who knows what you've touched? Better safe than sorry. So hand-washing was exactly what they call it, a tradition of the elders, not a commandment of God. And this is exactly what the Pharisees and scribes were experts in, oral tradition that commented on and, and gave understanding of the law. It was helped to apply the scriptures in their life. But for them, it had gained the same authority as the scriptures. Now, before we consider Jesus' reply, starting in verse 13, we, we must note that when Pharisees bring a question, it's about the disciples' behavior and their behavior concerning their traditions. The disciples' behavior concerning their traditions. This passage, these two verses, are part of the evidence that Jesus lived a sinless life. We observe that no accusation can be made against Jesus for his disobedience to God's law. In John's Gospel, Jesus is so bold as to say to some of his opponents... Which one of you convicts me of sin? Jesus Christ always obeyed God's law perfectly. He was completely righteous. So when they bring questions to him, it has to be about his disciples' behavior regarding their traditions. And friends, this is an essential element of the good news of the Bible. In order for Christ to die for us, He had to have no sins of his own to die for. In order for us to receive righteousness by faith, he had to be perfectly righteous for us. In fact, this is why the Old Testament had laws of washing to teach us that the priests had to be clean in order to enter the temple in God's presence. We read of this in Exodus 30, starting in verse 17. The Lord instructs Moses, You shall also make a basin of bronze, with its stand of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it, with which Aaron and his sons, the priests, shall wash their hands and their feet when they go into the tent of meeting. Or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water, so that they may not die. They shall wash their hands and their feet, so that they may not die. It shall be a statue forever to them, even to him and to his offspring throughout their generations. The Old Testament taught that you had to be ritually cleansed to enter God's presence or else die. But it wasn't just the washing that taught us. Sacrifices too had to be perfect. The Passover lamb had to be without blemish, none of its bones broken. Do you see what that is teaching? 
Jesus too had to be perfect, cleansed, not just in his hands and feet, but of sin, else he had to die for his own sins. He, like the Passover lamb, had to be without blemish. In fact, none of his bones broken, as on the cross. It was all to teach us, brothers and sisters, that we needed a pure high priest with a perfect sacrifice in order to draw near to God on our behalf. So sinners, this morning, Jesus' sinlessness, affirmed even in the, the Pharisees and scribes' questions, was for you, that your sins might be taken away. 1 John 3, 5, You know that He appeared in order to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. In order for our sinless Savior to take away sins, in Him there must be no sins. Jesus can only be our high priest and our sacrifice because He is sinless. So we see in their question this morning, He is sinless. But He doesn't respond to their question, does He? You know, their question may have been sincere at at this point, still early in Jesus' ministry, though later they will use their questions to trap Jesus. Maybe they they really have wanted to hear from this this rabbi. How do you read and understand the law? But he isn't going to answer their question. Not yet. He is going to go deeper and talk about how they use their traditions as excuses to break what is the, the clear commands of the living God. He uses the question to expose their hearts. Hearts He says, far from God, hiding behind the veneer of religious ritual. Verse 3, he answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? That's the accusation, that they break the commandment of God for their tradition. He goes on in verse 4, For God commanded Or as other translations put it, for God says. God speaks. He communicates. He utters words that are a perfect and explicit revelation of His will. We don't need traditions to guess what He wants. And among those words that He has uttered are the ten words, the the ten commandments. Here, Jesus quotes in verse 4, The fifth commandment, Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and mother. After the first four commandments reveal God's will in in Israel's relationship and worship of Him, this commandment, the fifth commandment, is at the head of of those that that, uh, reveal how Israel was to treat one another. And at the head of that list, to honor father and mother. It means to to treat them with respect and deference, to obey them. And its principle applies in all our relationships of submission to God-given authorities, like parents. But but Jesus adds to it. In the rest of verse 4, what what more God spoke to His people. Here, Exodus 21, verse 17. Whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. The word revile there or curse can mean to to speak evil. So God has decreed to Israel that the just 
punishment for not honoring father and mother under this covenant is death. It shows how serious this command is. And I I think that's part of why Jesus uses this as an example. The consequences are clear and dire. If this is what God commands in verse 4, what is it that they do? God says in verse 4 and in verse 5, but you say. God's word versus man's word. Starting in verse 5, but you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you make void the word of God. Basically, what they had developed is a tradition where people could devote their money and possessions as a gift to God, which in practice meant to the temple treasury. That sounds like a wonderful thing, doesn't it? What criticism could you level against someone who has dedicated all their possessions and money to God? Well, by doing so, they could no longer use that money and those possessions to provide support for their family, for their parents. Well, you might answer, well, isn't dedicating the money to God more important than even caring for family? What could be better? Didn't Jesus teach that we are not worthy of Him if we love father or mother more than Him? Yes, He did. And here we understand better what He meant. Unrivaled love for Jesus Love that surpasses love for even parents means obedience to his commands, including the command to honor father and mother. And that includes providing for them financially. But instead of honoring God's command, what God says, the Pharisees hide behind their tradition. A tradition that that really does look pious, doesn't it? but is in fact a way for them to deftly sidestep what God commands. For all their meticulous attention to the Bible and devotion to its careful application, they've missed the point. Jesus will condemn them in a strong matter in Matthew 23, starting in verse 23, that they are meticulous in small matters while missing the whole point. He says later, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tie the mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Straining a gnat and swallowing a camel. Talk about focusing on the small things and missing the weightier matters. Stafford Baptist, please note that we did not intentionally schedule this sermon to fall on Mother's Day. (laughs) This is the providence of God as we simply work week by week through the book of Matthew. But how appropriate in God's wisdom, not ours that we consider the fifth commandment on Mother's Day. Church, on the authority of God's word, not our traditions, mothers are to be honored. 
It is in fact one of the weightier matters of his will to honor father and mother. And that means more than just sending a card once a year. It means honoring the unique role that mothers have to to nurture life that no one else can do. For fathers, it means to not speak evil, to not make, for example, jokes at the expense of our wives, the mother of our children. It means to mourn with those who have lost their mothers or who long to be mothers and are not. It means very clearly in this passage to provide for our mothers in their need. You know, our culture is is very individualistic. Often children leave home and, and live far away from their parents. But even then, the Bible expects us to materially support our parents if they have need. I think one of the best examples of this is a sister I know who, who left seminary in her final year when she read 1 Timothy 5.8. Paul teaches Timothy, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So this sister, instead of finishing her degree, moved in with her aging grandmother to take care of her. You know, how ironic would it have been if she chose to finish her degree in the Bible rather than obey the Bible and take care of her grandmother? As noble as studying the Bible might be, is if, it's, if it is a substitute for obeying it, it's empty. That's what the Pharisees did. That's not to say, brothers and sisters, that honoring our mothers always means moving to take care of them in their need, but it might, because we are commanded by God to honor father and mother. So this this morning, brothers and sisters, honor, celebrate the mothers in your life today, but more than that, show them honor daily in obedience to God's command. Let's look back to verse 7 to see how Jesus concludes his words to these religious leaders. Jesus is very blunt. In verse 7, he calls them hypocrites, that they claim to have standards to which their behavior does not conform. Jesus has has spoken of hypocrites before. His his Sermon on the Mount is, is full of it. Those who do their righteousness in order to be seen by others, claiming to have a standard, righteousness, but doing it to be seen by others, not for God. But, but that was just hypothetical, right? These were just examples. But here he emphatically calls these religious leaders hypocrites. You, hypocrites. He says that their hypocrisy is described by the prophet Isaiah, what we read earlier in our service. But But he doesn't just say that it describes them. No, he claims that Isaiah, prophesying 700 years ago, was prophesying about them. Isaiah 2 condemned the people of of Jerusalem, there in Isaiah 29 called Ariel, for teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. If you had judged them by what they were saying, they might seem to be honoring God. 
But in fact, their hearts were far from God. Their worship, there in Isaiah 29, like, like a gift offered to the temple, is vain. It's empty. It's nothing. Because it is not accompanied by the heart. Their traditions are only the symptom, the fruit, the problem. The problem is the heart, far from God. We need this morning to hear what Jesus is teaching. You can be religious, but be far from God. It's one of the greatest evils that religious leaders in particular would be hypocrites. That those who, though imperfect, should be men of integrity are instead pretenders. Those who should be serving others, rather serve themselves by their religion. And James 3.1 says that those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. But this is not just true of religious leaders, isn't it? This is true for many who claim to follow Christ, that we might honor God with our lips but have hearts that are far from Him. We need to beware the danger of religious hypocrisy, that we might take shelter in our obedience to the commandments that we find convenient, but relying on the excuse of tradition in areas where obedience is costly. If you only obey God where you like, well, it is really your preferences that are your Lord and not Jesus. Matthew 7, 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. We who claim to follow Christ must consider that this with sobriety. Are we hiding or excusing sin all the while pretending to be something else? Beloved, remember, you are truly known by God. He sees through the black paint to the truth beneath. If God can see us like that, who we are at our core, what we need is more than just an external change, but an internal transformation. For our hearts to draw near, they need to be cleansed and new. Religion clearly is an insufficient answer because religion can be hypocritical. We need something true, a more penetrating and profound cure for our ills. And that being brings us to our second truth to hear from Jesus, our second point. You sin because you are a sinner. You sin because you are a sinner. Jesus is going to answer the Pharisees and scribes' question, why has he taught his disciples not to wash their hands and has everything to do with the heart? In verse 10, he turns to the crowds and calls them to hear and understand. What does he say? Verse 11, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Well, the disciples will call this a parable in verse 15. It's a cryptic saying. Certainly what Jesus means isn't yet explicit. We'll get to it in a moment when we get to verse 17. But first, what is clear, 
that the Pharisees are offended. Whatever their understanding, they know that Jesus isn't speaking in support of their traditions. In teaching this truth, notice, saints, Jesus did not avoid offending people. It is not possible to always uh, avoid offending people. But let it be the truth that offends as we remove every unnecessary offense. But by, by pointing out the Pharisees' offense to Jesus, it seems the disciples are concerned in verse 12. Don't you know, Jesus, that these are powerful people? So in verse 13 and 14, Jesus tells his disciples to leave it to God. There in verse 13, he uses the imagery of, of plants, common imagery in the Bible for Israel, planted by God. Any plant not from God will be rooted up. He's speaking of judgment. This recalls Jesus' parable in, in Matthew 13 of the wheats and the weeds, right? Not to tear up the weeds, not yet, until harvest. And so in, in verse 14, he tells them, let them alone. Don't be concerned about them. God's judgment in time will come. Jesus, in verse 14, I think, consigns them to destruction. They might call themselves guides, teaching others how to live, but they are blind guides. They cannot see the truth, and that any who follow them will also fall into with them a pit, destruction. Any who truly understand the words of God would discern who Jesus is and would follow Him. But even that understanding in the disciples is still growing. In verse 15, they must ask. The always bold Peter is first to speak. Explain to us this parable. So in verses 16 through 20, Jesus replies in private to the disciples explaining exactly what he means. Back in verse 11. Well, he begins in verse 16 with a rebuke to his disciples. It's in the plural. He expresses his shock. Are you still without understanding? You who have the secrets of the kingdom, have I been with you so long? Maybe at this point more than a year, maybe two. But they are not blind guides to be left alone. He doesn't just leave them without an answer. No, he teaches them patiently. First, in verse 17, the issue of what goes into the mouth. The Pharisees and scribes, in verse 2, accuse them of eating with unwashed hands. Food into their mouth with unwashed hands. Is that what makes someone unclean? His answer in verse 17, no, don't you see? It just passes into the stomach and is expelled. The implication is that Jesus was declaring all foods clean. He has taught that he has come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. As we've already considered, Christ came not just to fulfill the, the pure priesthood and the perfect sacrifice, but, but also the law, every command. He perfectly honored his father and mother, the fifth of the Ten Commandments. And because he has fulfilled them, he ushers in a new covenant, the old as Hebrews says, has become obsolete, ready to vanish away. His disciples, we no longer relate to God through the Old Covenant, 
but a new covenant in His coming blood. And that without food loss. But you might remember that it took a while for His disciples to catch on to these things, right? Peter had to have a vision three times of unclean animals from heaven told by God to kill and eat. You can read about that in Acts 10 and and still see Peter learning even in Galatians chapter 2 where he had to be rebuked by Paul. Paul, the apostle, seemed to have all this worked out a little bit earlier by revelation from God. If you were with us in our Sunday school class this morning, we read from Romans 14, 17, Paul's clear statement on this. He says, The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. All food's clean but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Well, that's verse 17. Declaring all foods clean. With that clear, he spends the next three verses telling us what does defile. If not food, if not unwashed hands, what makes us unclean? Well, it is, in verse 18, not what goes in, but what comes out of the mouth. And what comes out of the mouth has proceeded from The heart. This is the same truth that Jesus taught in Matthew 12, 34. For out of the abundance, the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The heart is not just, in the Bible, the center of the emotions, but the core of our being. It's the place of our thoughts and our our will. It's the most you part of you. And his assertion there at the end of verse 18 is that what flows out of the heart and through the mouth makes us unclean. It defiles us. What kinds of things overflow from our hearts? Verse 19. Evil thoughts. It's not just what you do that God can see and call evil, but what we think as well. Our thoughts are not hidden from Him. He goes on, murder. Every act of murder begins in the heart. In its seed, it is anger. Adultery and sexual immorality, the sensual sins that defile us, come from our own hearts. Theft, when we take what doesn't belong to us or fail to give what rightfully belongs to others, it starts with the greedy loves of, you guessed it, our hearts. False witness and slander. When we manipulate the truth for our own advantage or speak evil against others, it is because it serves what our hearts most desire. These all defile the person. They are transgressions of God's law and bring guilt upon us and offense to God. Does it surprise you that Jesus says sexual immorality and slander are equal in that they defile you? We cannot take comfort that God does not see and we cannot take comfort that our sins are small. God knows even our thoughts and all matters of sin, from sexual immorality to slander, defile us. They make us guilty before God and liable to His good judgment, His opposition to all evil. But unwashed hands? It doesn't defile. 
We commit these sins, brothers and sisters, because it is natural to us. They don't happen to us coming from the outside. They arise from the center of our person, our hearts. It is not that we commit sin and therefore are sinners. No, we are sinners and therefore sin. Do you see the difference? It is not that we commit sin and therefore are sinners. No, we are sinners and therefore sin. Sin is not first something we do. It is something we are and therefore do. You sin because you are a sinner. If in our first point this morning we highlighted the sinlessness of Christ, here we must underline the truth of our sinful nature. You may have heard the term original sin. That's the name of the doctrine that Jesus is teaching us here. That all people are born with a sinful nature, an inborn rebellion against God and His law. Say amen with me. You do not have to teach children to lie, to take things that aren't theirs or to be upset when things don't go their way it's natural to them you know when you you first learn about magnetism you'll see how magnets repel one another but when you flip the poles they'll pull together it's like we are all born with a magnet implanted in our souls a magnet that repels God and draws us toward sin And the solution is not just to avoid sins. We need the polarity of that magnet flipped. We need a new heart with new loves. You know, the Pharisees did a great job of making rules so they avoided sin. But when the magnet wasn't flipped, their hearts still loved it. They loved the praise of men rather than the praise that came from God. So even when they tried using additional rules that looked pious... Well, the magnet in their hearts led them right to disregarding God's law. Now, we need a deeper, a more penetrating solution. We need to be made obedient from the heart. And the good news of the Bible is not just that Jesus was a sinless sacrifice acceptable to God for us, though He was. It is not just that His sinlessness is now credited to, to us by faith. So that His perfect record is ours. No, it is also that God, by His Spirit, makes His people new. He gives us a new heart so that we can have faith and repentance in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. He and He alone can flip the polarity of that magnet. Do you hear Jesus this morning? You sin because you are a sinner. We need more than just religion and morals. You need to be reborn by the Spirit. In teaching the Pharisee, Nicodemus on the new birth, he taught that we need to be born of water and the Spirit. I don't think that's two separate things. That's a rebirth by the Spirit that is like a washing by water. It says Paul writes to Titus 
He calls our rebirth a washing. Titus 3.5 He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And this, this washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit is exactly what God had promised. What we heard in our assurance of pardon today in Ezekiel 36. God promises, I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from your idols. I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. We all need that cleansing. We aren't clean by washing hands or keeping any ritual. Our problem is deeper to the very core of our being. The only way to be clean is to be washed by the water of the Spirit. It is to receive a new heart by God's Spirit. And though the Desires of our old person are not yet gone. It now has new desires born of this Spirit. So this morning, Christian, please still wash your hands. But if you haven't yet followed Jesus in obedience in baptism, Jesus, Jesus calls you to be baptized as a public declaration of your faith and new life. But baptism does not cleanse you. Though you go down into those waters, it is merely a picture of the cleansing that happens by Jesus in the Spirit. And Christian, if you have received this cleansing by the Spirit, you are clean. This cleansing is once for all. Never needs to be repeated. God has done what no ritual could ever do. But you will have other sins that need to be washed away. I think one of the greatest commentaries on what this passage teaches us is in Jesus' instructions to Peter at the Last Supper. Do you remember that little scene when Jesus is washing their feet? Peter, in more misunderstanding, refuses the offer. Listen to how Jesus teaches Peter. Again, about cleansing. John 13. Jesus answered him, that's Peter, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. Has that been confusing to you? Is he talking about, you know, here at the, the dinner, I just need to wash your feet, you've already bathed. No, 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 it's, it's figurative language. We sang earlier, wash me, Savior, or I die. The one who has been bathed need not wash. In other words, once you have been cleansed of the guilt of Jesus, or sorry, of guilt by Jesus' death on the cross, you are clean. No more bathing necessary. But what about the feet? Christians still sin and still need cleansing. Not the whole body, not that once for all cleansing, that bath. But we need, so to speak, our feet cleaned. So Christians... Confess your sins to Jesus daily. Come to Him for forgiveness and cleansing. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
Saints, in a world filled with evil, with pain and suffering, with confusion, where do we find answers? The solution is not just religion, pasted on rituals. You can be religious, but be far from God. We need a more penetrating and permanent solution for our evil core. We need the cleansing of the Spirit. Our sinless Savior has fulfilled all of the law's demands and gives us not only His righteousness, but a new heart. Friends, because Jesus gives everything we need, let us therefore give everything we are to Him this morning in praise. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, this morning we feel our need of You. Lord, we cannot save ourselves by our rituals and our cleansing. Father, nothing in our hands we bring. Simply to the cross we cling. Lord, we pray in thanks for the cleansing that we have by your Spirit and a new heart, the gift of your work in regeneration. Lord, they would give us faith and repentance and a clean heart. Lord, we pray this morning that we would come again to Jesus for fresh cleansing, that our feet would be cleaned, that he might be faithful to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Lord, we pray that in the midst of all life's evils, in pain and suffering and confusion, we would look to our answers, not in what we do, but what Christ has done for us and promises to do when he comes again. It is in that that we place our hope this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.